Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, it's Hugh Ballou. Welcome to another episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. Weekly interviews, we're in our, our seventh year of interviewing fascinating people. And even though two people may talk about the same topic, there's different wisdom to share because we all have a different unique perspective and we've all had individual experience. Many times we have nonprofit leaders telling their story. Many times we have business professionals helping us <clears throat> learn sound business principles that we can install into the culture and the systems of the tax exempt business that we run. Uh, we call it nonprofit. That's not really a good word to describe us, but it's a social benefit tax exempt business to create proceeds and to provide impact to people who need it the most. We are called to service and helping people. And one of the things that holds us back is our relationship with money. And today I have a, a new friend. We're members of a networking group that meets and there's people all over the world. And Richard's quite a personality and uh, has some really important things to share. Now, Richard's profession is giving, uh, helping people with their finances. We're not going to do that today. Um, he's licensed and, and he's restricted and, and that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about leadership principles and our relationship with money. So Richard Hansen, tell people a little bit about who you are and what's your passion for the work that you do now? Well, good morning from Southern uh, sunny California, um, and it's uh, it's definitely a pleasure uh, to be on here with you. Um, your reputation precedes you. Um, I've I've had many, many, many powerful people in my life speak very highly of you and what you've done in the nonprofit uh, community. So uh, kudos to what you've done and what you're doing. And uh, for those of you that are watching online, uh, the sky is a stud and a half. So, um, but yes, my name is uh, Richard Hansen. Um, I am a millennial. I am an elder millennial because I was born in the uh, in the early 80s, so I am a millennial, um, but I don't identify as a millennial. I definitely identify more as a Gen X, and I say that because most people have a pretty negative viewpoint on millennials and how they're living their lives right now, and um, and the millennials all obviously have their own view on on why they act the way that they do because of the world that they've been handed to, um, but don't let the fact that I'm a man or a millennial, or the fact that I have brown hair and blue eyes deter you from the fact that we're here to serve one another. Um, whether you're in a for-profit company or whether you're in a nonprofit company, that's what we're here to do. And a little bit about me, I'm born and raised in Southern California. This is all I know. I thought the entire planet was sunny and 70 all year round. Um, uh, my buddy Hugh being on the East Coast, um, he, I, I hear stories and see pictures of this white stuff on the ground that comes from the sky. I hear it's called snow. Um, I, I've seen pictures of it. I've read about it, but I've never actually seen it here in, in Southern California, maybe up in the mountains. Um, but I was raised by a uh, by single mom. Uh, my mom raised me and my three brother, brothers all by herself. And she did an absolute phenomenal job. So mom, if you're watching, you're a saint. And, and for everyone to understand, growing up with a single mom raising three boys, I'll admit I'm, I'm responsible for 
for a third of her gray hair and, and probably a third of the medication she's taking right now. I was definitely the hardest to raise out of the three. But one, the, the most valuable point, the most valuable piece of um, financial advice my mom gave me was, Richard, don't do what I do. How many of you listen to family members, broke family members, on their financial advice? Most of us. Um, my mom told me, sweetie, don't do what I do. And I was like, um, okay. So she, so she laid the path of what not to do. And uh, that actually served me very well. Because I think about, hey, did mom make this decision? Yes. Okay. I should probably do the opposite. Um, so being, uh, being raised by single mom, grew up extremely poor. Um, I probably, in fact, I don't remember ever going to school not hungry. Um, we were going to school all through high school, just hungry every single morning, not enough food in the house. Um, the welfare food stamps would only last, you know, about a week or two uh, during the month. And so it was very tough growing up. And then I went and made the decision to become a teenage father. Um, and that continued uh, the generation, uh, the generational issue of poverty. You know, my, I grew up in poverty. I was now creating another generation in poverty. Um, even though my grandparents worked very hard, um, they never really got ahead uh, six, uh, financially in life. And so that was just this perpetual poverty going on. And I had to make the decision that, um, that I was not, that I was going to break those chains. And everything comes down to a decision, Hugh. Um, you have to decide that you want better for your life that you want better for your family, that you want better for your patrons, that you want better for your community. I'm a huge financial ally to a lot of different communities that are out there. And being raised in Southern California, you know, I'm, I, I, there, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, viewpoints that, um, that I see that most people don't um, because of the, the blending of communities and cultures and religions that are out here. And um, so I started my financial career about 15 years ago. So I started when I was about three, just kidding. Um, but I've been doing this for now 15 years. I served in the for-profit uh, corporate America um, for about 11 years, serving wealthy business owners and very well-to-do nonprofits as well. Um, but very much like people are experiencing right now with COVID, um, I actually lost my job in 2016 simply because uh, the bank didn't want to, uh, to, to pay me anymore. It was cheaper to, to hire labor in a different country to do what I was doing. And so I found myself, you know, collecting unemployment and, um, and ended up losing all three of our pieces of real estate, lost uh, my 401k, all of our savings. Why? Because I had a horrible relationship with money. Even though I was making good money, I still had this poverty mindset of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like debt, 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 leverage, 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 you know, spend now because you don't know if you're going to have it tomorrow. But it was because of that catastrophe in my life that I made the decision to not become financially destitute ever again and let my family become um, a, a statistic. So my wife and I, Amanda, who's the absolute love of my life, uh, made the decision that we were going to start educating ourselves by reading books uh, about rich people. You know, uh, Dale Carnegie has a phenomenal book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. There's tons of, book of books about money out there, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, from Robert Kiyosaki was a big one as well. And so, 
I've done, uh, and, and, and by the way, I'm not with corporate anymore. I'm now an entrepreneur um, in the industry. So um, it was very much nonprofit in the beginning, a lot of giving, a lot of giving, a lot of giving, not making anything. Um, but I think we've, we've crossed that threshold. Um, and so I've been doing the financial stuff for 15 years, educating, coaching, mentoring, and building leaders, um, helping them sharpen their acts so they can go out there and do better for what it is that they do. So yes, I'm a millennial, but don't look at me as a millennial because um, you're actually going to get more ed financial education today than you probably have ever had in your whole life. So, um, but I'm excited, Hugh. Thanks for, for having me and for everyone. I hope to add a lot of value to you. Well, you will, you will, and you have already. There's a, there's a um, being broke is a temporary condition. Being poor is a mindset. Did I hear you right? Absolutely. Now you were broke, and maybe you were poor, but with your your inspiration from your bride, um, you and I both married up. We just say that up front. So um, you just kind of you you work through it. And um, I've been through bankruptcy. I've lost businesses. I've lost everything. And, you know, success is when you get up one more time than you fall down. <laughs> and so people introduced me as a keynote speaker, as an expert. And I used to say, no, 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 I'm a student of leadership, which I am. However, I, de I declared this year, my, I'll be 75 this year in September, that I'm old enough to have made enough mistakes that, yes, I'm an expert. So those are, those are learning opportunities. So let's talk about money as a resource and rather we, we tend to have a different view. So what's the myth around money that really, now we, we, we as leaders, especially in the nonprofit sector, and let me just get this on the table. Nonprofit is a lie. I don't think IRS uses that anywhere. It's a tax exempt C corporation. And we run a business for proceeds that help people, not for profit for our pockets. So it's a, in some sense, one of my guests said it's a for purpose enterprise. So we need to change our mindset about money just to get that out of the way so we can do the work we're called to do. So talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I mean, everything starts with a scarcity mindset, you know, especially if you grew up working class, or especially if you grew up poor. Um, you know, we're taught these, these habits by our parents, by our grandparents, by our family members. And so there's this scarcity mindset. And when you think you're not going to have enough money, well, guess what? You never do. When you think you're not going to be able to, you know, reach that goal, you won't. You know, you have to, like I said earlier, you have to make the decision that you're going to make a difference, not only in your life, but in others. And that starts with your mindset about money. You know, if you have a lot of money, if you believe you have a lot of money, then you will. If you believe that you're broke, guess what? You are. I've met many, many, many people with a lot of wealth who are broke. And I've met many, many people who appear to be poor that have an astronomical amount of wealth. And it's, it's just, it, 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 it goes back to their relationship with money. You know, you can view money as a God in your life. And there's many scriptures that say, uh, yeah, don't do that. Um, but typically, and, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from the, the Western world, from, from that of someone in, in, in America, um, you know, we're taught that, you know, we need to spend, spend, spend. I mean, social media is all about advertising to get you to spend your money. Um, but you have to be the one to make that decision to start looking at money differently. It's just a tool. It's no different than a hammer is to a carpenter or a wrench to an auto mechanic. 
Um, money is just a tool. And when you treat it as a tool, guess what? It can build houses, it can build people, it can build communities, it can build futures. But if you treat it as this little, you know, God in your life that you got to hoard and hold, well, it's going to rule your life. And when catastrophe comes, you're going to be depressed. You're going to be anxious. You know, your, your physical well-being is going to, going to, going to hurt and suffer and that of everyone around you as well. And I know that because I've been through it. I myself have been through bankruptcy. In fact, it's public information because of my career. You can go to FINRA and look me up and you'll find me. And sure enough, oh, look, Richard's got a, uh, got a negative marking. But because of, my, because of the industry that I serve, that information has to be public. And, and I'm not ashamed about it. I said, look, you know, um, most people have gone through financial catastrophe and you can either let that define you or you can use it as a way to, uh, to springboard into a better future. Now, yes, you have to do the work. Just believing that you're going to amass wealth and believing that money's gonna be a tool doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, poof, it's gonna be there. No, the belief is gonna empower you and strengthen you to go out and do the work that's needed to generate revenue for not only yourself, but for your family, for your organization, for your communities, and for generations. And that's, that's a biblical principle, you know, to create generational wealth. And so um, I think it's, it's huge and more people need to change their mindset about money. And as soon as they do, all of a sudden the world is their oyster. Absolutely. We, we're focused on the today. And really, if we're doing really work, we need to be focusing on as well as today, the long-term future, because we're creating a legacy project that should go on long after the, we, we're, we're done with it. And maybe no longer in this world. So um, so what are some other things that we need to, you talked about educating us about money. What are some of the misconceptions besides what you've already talked about? I'm sure there's one or two more that people need to embrace in a way of thinking. Now, I'm thinking also of the work of Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, which ultimately is not about money. When he lists, I guess it's the 13 attributes of wealth, money is last, you know, ability for applied faith, good placing personality, sound mind, good health. You know, there's all these attributes of wealth. And he said he listed money because it was the last one. However, it is on the list and it's really a resource that opens up other resources. So how do we frame it? So what are some of the, the challenges that people that you've spoken to and, and helped come around to a new mindset? What are some of those you want to share with us? Well, before I do that, just real quick, an old mentor of mine, um, told me something when I was a, a very young, young father, a teenager at the time. And he said, you know, Rich, you need to live for today, but you need to plan for tomorrow. You know, you can't ignore today. I mean, you gotta, you gotta live for today, but use the resources that you've been given to plan for tomorrow. And, and, and I think if more people understood that, um, they would make better decisions. Um, but as far as challenges go, you know, the, the nonprofits that I've served over the last 15 years, the biggest thing is, hey, Rich, how do we get more patrons? And how do we get our patrons to open up their wallets? More. And that's, a, that's the number one question I get. Like, hey, how do, we get more, um, how do we get more people to donate? And how do we get them to donate more? Okay. Um, so... My number one question to them is, well, what do you donate? How do you manage your money? 
you can't tell, so actions speak louder than words. I can't tell my kids to tithe and save for their future if I'm not doing it for myself. You know, my mom said, don't do what I did. And I didn't. So first thing I ask the, the, the leaders and I'm like, hey, so what are you doing with your personal finances? Are you tithing? Are you, you know, it, it's biblical, right? Even, even in the Quran, it talks about that, you know, that you need to give charity. You're, you're expected to. And so that's the first challenge I have is like, you know, are you, how are you doing with your personal finances? Because you can't expect someone to open up their wallet for your cause, your charity, if you're a nonprofit organization, if you're not doing it yourself, you're going to attract what it is that you, that, that, that you're looking for. So if you're looking for people to, to give and to donate and to find more people who have a spirit of generosity, well, that's got to be you first. And so that's the first, and, and no one wants to hear that. No one wants, I'm a big guy, right? Nobody wants, I don't want to hear to eat less and exercise more, but I know that's what I got to do, right? I go to the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, all your problems will be fixed if you do two things, eat less and exercise more. And I'm like, I knew that. And guess what? Leaders, patrons, you know this. You know this, that you need to have your ducks in a row before you start telling someone else to get their little duckies in a row. And once you change your mindset on how you personally treat money, all of a sudden you're going to be able to talk with more conviction. You're going to be able to share more about your cause and your crusade, and you're not going to come off a salesy. That's the last thing a patron wants to hear. And when, when, when you go to church, you don't want to hear the preacher talking about opening up the, their wallet to give to the church. No, they talk about what it's going to do for the community. They talk about what it's going to do for God's purposes. And so, um, as, as an, and whether you're a, a religious organization or not, um, you need to get your own house in order. And then from there, that's going to change your mindset and you'll be able to start speaking with more conviction. You're going to be able to speak from more of a place of your heart versus a place of your head. And I think that's where I've grown the most is instead of speaking from my head, I speak from my heart because I've changed the way that I look at things. I don't look at them through my eyes. I look at them through other people's eyes. Wow. There's the, um, <clears throat> there's the when myth. <clears throat> I'm going to give money when I make more money. I'm going to behave differently as a leader when I have a platform. I'm going to act like a leader when I get the position. Those are all lies we tell ourselves. They're, they're myths. When is now? And if those who are faithful in a little bit are faithful in more. And so there's this reciprocity of giving that I think is fulfilling when we're able to do that. And there's no substitute for it until you actually write the check or push the button on the internet to give. So that's that's a really strong principle. The other other this we teach in, in center vision, <clears throat> the conductor models what they get. So the model for the conductor, the, the, the saying is what they see is what you get. So it's a reflection. The culture is reflection of the leader, our, our, our kids, everybody, they're going to respond to us. <clears throat> and they know somehow they know if we're, if we're doing that or not, that's very clear. We all know that board members must be givers and most granting organizations won't even go past looking at the board if they're not givers that's you know you're not even going to qualify but this is a a new piece 
the the leader needs to also be disciplined to be giving to others. So that's really good. James Allen in his little classic book, As a Man Thinketh, says, we don't attract what we need. We attract what we are. So that's really good wisdom. So go down that path. What's another another piece of learning you have for us? <laughs> I, like that, I like that when myth, you know, when I have a fat bank account, I will be happy. When I get that college degree, I will be happy. When I get that beautiful girl, I will be happy. Well, guess what? When you put all of your energy and emphasis on something or someone, guess what? You're going to be disappointed. And it's not going to happen the way you want it to. And if you try, I'm a, I'm a recovering control freak. If you try and make it happen the way you want it to, um, not only are you going to hurt yourself, but you're going to hurt other people. So I find I've had multiple people win the lottery. And wait a minute, I, wait a minute. You've had you meet friends or clients? Uh, clients. I've had many clients win the lottery. My in my gosh. short 15 year career, some, some people that do what I do never come across a client who wins a lottery. And I've had, I've had three of them in the last 15 years. And what I found is that money doesn't change people. What it does is it's an amplifier. It amplifies who you were before you got the money. So if you're a generous, loving fun person to be around, money's just going to make you more generous, more loving, and more fun to be around. If you're tight, selfish, um, very um, hostile individual, money's just going to make you worse. It's going to make you more hostile. It's going to make you more, more self-centered. Money's just an amplifier is all it does. That's why when lottery winners win the lotto, they usually go broke very, very quickly thereafter because all it did is is amplify who they are. They never really changed. The money didn't change them. They're still poor-minded or broke-minded. And all the money did was just go out of their hands quicker. Same thing with sports athletes. You know, some of them get injured uh, very on, very early on in their careers. And they're broke very soon thereafter. Or, or, or athletes who retire. Um, and they're not, you know, they, they, they never learned how to properly manage money. So they're broke very soon after. And so... My challenge to people is number one, earn your money. Don't, I'm not condoning the lottery. Okay. And uh, that's not a retirement plan as I've hear so many people joke. Oh, I'm, I'm investing in my retirement. Okay. Well, where are you putting it? Oh, the California lottery. And I'm like, that is not a retirement plan. And I, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding you. The number of people, uh, especially baby boomers who say that is just, is just mind boggling. Um, because guess what? If you win the lottery, you're going to be broke a year or two thereafter very quickly. Um, and, and again, that, that goes back to, oh, when I get this, when I get that. No, no, you have to. It's now. It's now. If you want something, you have to go after it now. So the time is now. It's not later. It's now. And procrastination is the biggest killer, even when it comes to money. If you have two people that are saving for their future and somebody starts two years earlier, they could essentially have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars more than the person who started just two years later. And so that's huge. Procrastination is not good for anybody. And now, yes, I'm talking about money. We're not going to talk about food and dieting because, of course, I'm going to procrastinate the health side of what I'm focusing on, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Right. So, so raise I, your hand. Raise your hand. I'm working on it. <laughs> right, right. I have not arrived in every area. Of, you know, I'm, I'm getting better. 
Um, I, I'm taking my strengths and making them better, but I'm working on my weaknesses as well, um, little by little. But you know, I, I got I got to change my mindset about health. I got to change my my. Um, I, I can't say, oh well, when I make enough money, I will start working on my body and my health. No, I got to do that now. Like my babies are graduating high school in like a year or two, you know, and I'm gonna be my wife and I are gonna be empty nesters. Like, am I waiting for that? Like, Richard, what are you waiting for? You know, and so I think that when myth is um, is is a killer. It, it, it's a dream stealer too, because if you're always waiting for when, waiting for that next, you're gonna be waiting your whole life. Well, and those same principles um, can be applied to individuals in doing their own retirement plan, but it can also be applied to an organization. Um, now, I can't tell you how many organizations spend, 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 and they don't put any money into an endowment fund, and they don't talk to people about funding an endowment fund. So what is behind this reluctance to talk about money? I mean, it's just as bad in the church sector and the synagogue. Well, I don't know. Synagogues talk about it a lot, a lot more directly. It's your tax, you pay it. But Christians, you know, we're, we're averse to even talking about money because it's not polite. So, so what's that all about? How can we, it's, it's really part of our stewardship to think about those resources, all of them time, talent, and money. So what's behind that? And we need to be able to have a substantive conversation with somebody about planned giving so they can help us build that long-term fund, the endowment fund that's going to be sustainability for us. Yeah, and 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 endowment funds, those are, uh, those are, I mean, that's how most of the colleges are funded these days is because you have people who pass away and leave a large portion of their estate to a university or to a nonprofit organization. So I've, I've coached many nonprofit leaders in, in, in my career in the last 15 years. And I've told them, I said, you know, when you are presenting to your patrons, when you're, you know, talking to them, you know, yes, they are, you know, potentially going to be leaving, contributing money to your cause and your organization now. But you also have to say, oh, by the way, did you know that you can leave a portion of your life insurance as a beneficiary for uh, a nonprofit of your choice. Um, you can ear uh, earmark a portion of your state to go towards a nonprofit of your choice. Uh, there was a gentleman up in Central California that I worked with, and and it was extreme. It, it was funny. Um, it was sad, but kind of funny. Um, we were doing a rather large life insurance policy for him uh, to shelter cash. Um, and so um, he's, and so I, I said, you know, I, I got to fill out your beneficiary. You know, are we going to leave this to your nieces, your nephews? He wasn't married. He didn't have any kids. And he's like, heck no, uh, my family didn't help me. They get nothing. And I'm like, well, I have to put somebody on here. Who do you want me to put? And he thought about it. And he's a very uh, conservative individual. He said, how about the NRA? <laughs> and I said, okay, cool. We can add the NRA. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, the NRA would love to have your money when you die. And he was like, put the NRA on there. So, so they're most working. And he's a teacher. So most working Americans don't know that you can mark a portion or in this guy's case, all of his life insurance proceeds to go to the NRA when he passes away. And so you can, so you can use when educating people about what they can do for themselves and for contributing, yes, they can leave money now, but they can also leave money from the grave, from, from heaven, you know, and they can leave their assets and their resources. It doesn't have to be all of it, although that would be nice, but 
you know, they can break off a portion of it, you know, hey, give 20% to one kid, give 20% to another, and the remaining 60%, let's leave it to, you know, the Red Cross or whatever nonprofit they feel comfortable with. So, so, um, and we're not endorsing any particular gift or nonprofit or Thank philosophy. You. Absolutely. It's just, that was a story of a person who had that particular, that is a nonprofit. So, um, what is the, what is the hang up? for nonprofit leaders, they say, I don't want to ask people for money. I don't want to beg for money. I don't feel comfortable talking about money to people that I know. So what's behind that? Yeah. So it's fear. It's fear. Let's be honest. You're scared. Just like I'm scared, you know, to talk about things that make me feel uncomfortable. By the way, rich people love talking about money. They love talking about business. They love talking about revenue. If you're talking to people who are broke-minded or people who are uh, working class, they hold on to money very tight. And so they don't like talking about money because they don't want people to know that they don't have as much as they pretend that they have. So what? So, <laughs> oh, right? that's, that's interesting. Yes. Okay. Just <laughs> Right. Right. So people like to showcase that they have a lot when reality is they don't. And I, who are you trying to impress? You're trying to impress someone who doesn't really care about what you're doing anyways. So what's the point? Um, but what I was trying to say is that, you know, if you're a, a nonprofit leader, um, first of all, if you make it weird, it's going to be weird. So if you think that talking about money and giving is going to be weird, yeah, it's going to be weird. So don't make it weird don't make it weird. And you're not going to be telling them to open up their wallets. You can't do that directly. I can't tell my wife, hey, baby, come over here and kiss me. Although she probably will reluctantly. No, she wants to be wooed. She wants to be enticed. And so how do I do that? You know, obviously, I got to be presentable. So make sure you're presentable. Um, and so you have to share your vision with your patrons and share with them what your goals and what your plans are. You know, this is where we're going in the next three to six months. This is where we're going in the next three years, the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years. And yes, by the way, it does cost money to do these things, but look at the lives that we're going to change. Look at the impact we're gonna have in the community. Look at how many babies we're gonna save, how many foster kids we're gonna enrich. Whatever it is that your cause is doing, when you share a vision, you're able, people are going to be like, oh, wow, that's fantastic. You're right. I want to be a part of that cause. And then you have people start asking, well, how do I do this? And then you can even put a plug in there. Be like, Look, if you want to learn more about how to be someone who's making a change in this community, let's talk. It doesn't have to be about money. Don't make it weird. Don't make it weird. We're going to pause for a uh... A sponsor moment, and then we're going to come back and talk about weird again. So um, Center Vision Leadership Foundation publishes a magazine called Nonprofit Performance 360 Magazine. And um, on this cover, this was an ordinary guy, uh, Frank Chankowitz, who just recently died uh, about a month ago. He founded Make-A-Wish uh, Foundation because he met this young fellow who was dying and wanted to be a motorcycle policeman, which he was. So he got a full uniform. And if you saw the movie Wish Man, it's, it brings tears to your eyes. He had a vision. He was very clear. And he rallied friends and family to, to support him in that. So our one of our sponsors that makes these free things possible is a company called Word Sprint. There it is, Word Sprint. 
The word sprint is a mailing house with a very fancy print shop to deliver printed pieces, which we think is dead, but look in your mailbox. There's a whole bunch of print stuff that comes to my mailbox every day. So building relationships is the foundation for getting revenue, building trusted relationships and then maintaining those relationships. So how many times as nonprofit leaders do we say thank you, send a letter and then don't correspond to a donor until it's time for the next donation pitch? So we need to stay in touch with them. So, so in the magazine, we have a page, a teaching page from Word Sprint. And in, and in two and a half million mailings and 20 years of research, they work primarily with nonprofits, but they work with businesses and universities as well. It's the maintaining of the relationship, telling people what the impact has been, just like Richard just said, what's happened with their money. So a third of the message, you know, a third of the whole program is the message, the right message third of it is to the right person. Make sure you're not mailing to a person who's no longer with us. And third is a regular rhythm. They want to hear from you, not every week, maybe not every month, but certainly every quarter, every couple of months, put something in their hand. It's, it's a celebration. We have impacted people's lives. It's a third, the right message to the right person in the right rhythm. And then 10% is at least needs to look decent, but if it's too fancy, it works against you because you're looking like you're frivolous with their money wordsprint.com. Go and Bill Gilmer, you can make an appointment with Bill Gilmer and he can show you some models that will keep your donors donating and your supporters supporting because you've let them know the impact like Richard talked about, what's happening with their precious donation and they will keep donating, maybe raise it and maybe invite other people. So the trend is upwards, wordsprint.com. So Richard, about this... Um, being very clear on what we're doing. That's very hard. I've, I've worked with uh, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and what I'm calling social entrepreneurs, those who have launched or growing a, a, a nonprofit, a charitable organization. And we, we come at it without the necessary, well, skill set. We got a vision. We've got something really worthwhile. But the blue 1090 principle, different than the Pareto 80-20 rule, it's 10% of what you have is the total. 90% allows you to, to deliver that. And so we don't really focus on the skill sets, the team, the substance, the plan that's going to enable us to deliver. So there's a whole lot of things that we need to learn to be able to deliver. And one of them is really how money works. Now, now we're in the South. You're in California. We've, we in the South think California is another country. Is, but we have our own language. But but when Richard talks about patrons, some of us call them uh, 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 donors. Um, and the generic term would be supporters, time, talent, and money that people support us. So there's a number of ways to describe our tribe of people that really share the passion. So um, any more you want to say on some of these relearnings that we need about our attitude toward money? You know, I'm just thinking about you know, a friend of mine who has a, a global nonprofit organization where he sets up prosperity centers um, all across the world. He'll find a community that maybe has an orphanage, has an orphanage, but maybe no medical, maybe no education, um, and he'll he'll fund those other two. So, and he's done this in um, in Africa. They're working in Cambodia right now. Um, they're once things settle down in Venezuela, they're going to go down there. And what's interesting is that you know, this gentleman is achieving his philanthropy goals 
um, based on what he did in the for-profit world. And so he got a the business education. He got the financial education, you know, by partnering with for-profit companies, by learning what these what these companies are teaching. And so he built a business and that business now funds all of his philanthropy goals. And I, I'm, I, it sounds like he's going to be very soon transitioning, just not working the business at all. And he's going to put that on autopilot and that's going to continue to fund all of his philanthropy goals. So it's interesting to see people who plan ahead to set up their nonprofits and to strategically position themselves to be successful. Because if you have a great idea to start a, a community or organization or to do something in your, um, in your neighborhood or to, for a particular cause, um, you need to surround yourself with people that are going to um, help you learn what it is that you need to learn, whether you know, you're a great visionary and you lack the administrative skills well, guess what? You're going to have to learn those administrative skills, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're phenomenal at the administrative skills, but you lack the vision. You lack the leadership. So you're going to want to put people around you who have those strengths, and you're going to want to learn from them. And guess what? There's tons of books out there that you can read. It doesn't, have, I mean, we're all social distancing because of COVID right now. Well, guess what? A book's your best friend. You can actually get in the head of Abraham Lincoln. You can get in the head of Napoleon Hill. You can get in these guys' heads and spend one-on-one -on -one time with them. And, and so um, you definitely have to surround yourself with people that are going to um, help you increase the belief that you have in yourself. Because I know it's kind of corny, but what you believe you can achieve. And, uh, and I know that I've, I've experienced that multiple times in my life. And, um, and so I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited uh, for the people that are watching this that are, you know, hopefully getting a spring or we're sprinkling a little bit of seed on them of, of encouragement and prosperity that they're going to go out there and go make a change for, um, for their community, for their organization. Um, and, and that starts with you, you, you have to get, you have to turn into Hugh 2.0. I have to turn into Richard 2.0 in order to reach those goals. Actually 2.01. Okay. I didn't harass you. You wouldn't feel normal. Um, so, um, somebody, uh, somebody said that uh, they have donors, but they don't appear to be cheerful. So what is that about? And do you have a, any advice for that? The people, and sometimes we're guilty of beating people in the submission by pleading our case and, and, and saying, oh, we're in trouble. We need this money and it's tragic. And then people give it reluctantly. So how do we expect them to be cheerful? So there's probably two sides to this, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. I think about my personal experience with tithing at church. You know, there was a season where we didn't tithe and life seemed to get worse. And then we started to tithe out of obligation and nothing got better. It didn't. It wasn't until I made the decision to change my mindset and change my view on what that money was going for. Sure, it's going to church. It's going to a, uh, a particular organization. But I had to choose to look at that money and thinking about, wow, how is this hundred dollars, this thousand dollars, this hundred thousand dollars, this million dollars, how is this money going to impact the community that I'm going to be supporting? 
And so being a cheerful giver, as a leader, you want to encourage your people to be cheerful givers. And it is okay to let them know, look, we want you, we, we want to give you the opportunity to give. But if you're not going to be cheerful, if, if you're doing this out of obligation or, or, or compulsory, you know, don't do it. And I know you're probably thinking like, what? Did Richard just say, don't ask for the money? Well, check it out. If you're going to get someone who's reluctant and bitter and like, oh man, you know, I got to give this money again, you know, that's not going to go far because they're obviously not going to talk to their family members. They're not going to talk to their friends about this. They're not going to talk to, to their colleagues. You want your patrons, your donors, your supporters um, to be cheerful givers because a cheerful giver is going to attract other cheerful givers. And so you need to help them remember that the money that they're contributing, that they're leaving is going to be used for a purpose. And you want them to be be generous. You want them to be cheerful and encourage them to seek their own heart. You know, do you feel that this is the right place? Do you feel that this is the right thing for you to be doing with your finances? And, and that might be a hard pill to swallow for some leaders, but let me ask you, if that's a hard pill to swallow, what's your viewpoint on money? Ah, ah, now you mentioned some books to, uh, to read. So, um, what I'll do is have you send me, if you have a list, and I'll put it on the page. There's a page at the, T-H-E, the nonprofitexchange.org. Go there, you'll see uh, the summary of what's happening and what's next on the nonprofit exchange. And then on that page, there's an archive. So you can click and see future videos and you'll see, you'll go back seven years and lots of, lots of great content there. So Richard, uh, would you like to hear from uh, any questions or comments from folks? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so, and I'm going to come back and deal with a couple of these things. If uh, any of you have some, some questions, I see Bob, we have um, one of our team members who's uh, an advisor and supporter and colleague and collaborator <laughs> with Center Vision. And you mentioned the word philanthropy. And this is the guy in the world that knows the most about philanthropy. He didn't say so. I said so. He's a publisher of philanthropy misunderstood and his mission is, is to help people understand what the power of philanthropy is, but he's also starting uh, with people as young as seven. So uh, to, to help them understand that, we're gonna talk about youth and philanthropy before we quit today, but Bob Hopkins, you got your ears on and you wanna share any comments or thoughts with our guest? I do, thank you very much. I like this topic, of course. No, I don't, I don't like this topic. Um, when I first heard who, what it was gonna be about, I thought, oh God, I just hate talking about money. But you know, there's two different kinds of heads that people have, I have learned. They have a nonprofit head and they have a for-profit head. And it just depends on what head you're wanting to talk to about money because they respond differently and they think differently. So when I'm asking for money for a nonprofit organization and the cause, they turn on their head that says, I wanna be a giver. And when then I say, okay, now I'm talking about my for-profit entity. I've just started a for-profit entity. All of a sudden, they want to see statistics. They want to see a business plan. They want to see how much am I going to get out of this deal. And I didn't know that until I 
went from the nonprofit sector to the for-profit sector, and people started asking me these questions when I was talking about, okay, what are you going to do with this money? So I think it just depends on how you're, you, you talk to the, to the people and what is the topic that you're talking about. Now, as far as personal is concerned, um, you know, I never had to support anybody. I've always been on my own, so I've never had to ask anybody for permission to do anything with my money. And I hear all these people out there talk about, you need to have a retirement plan. And I go, why, where am I going? Why do I need a retirement plan? I'm not planning to ever stop working. What do you think about people like me who, <laughs> who don't have a plan, never have had a plan personally, but I've run nonprofit organizations and I've really usually talked to people with heads that say, I wanna be a giver. You have, awesome. two hours, you have two hours to answer that question. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, thank you, Bob, for, uh, for that question. Um, and you're right. You know, people think with their heads and people think with their hearts. You know, the, the nonprofit's going after their heart and the for-profit's going after their head. So you don't know um, the, the, the people that you're talking to. You don't know how many of them of, out, out there are talking from their hearts or talking from their heads. So you're going to want to talk to both at the same time. You're going to want to share your vision. You're going to want to help them understand what it is that this is going to be doing for the community, for the cause. And yeah, you still want to give them statistics. You want to show them, you know, what the organization was able to do last year, last quarter. So you want to touch both, you, you want to touch these individuals on both ends. You want to scratch their heart itch and you want to scratch their brain itch. You know, whether it's, you know, you're, they, they have this nonprofit mindset or they have this for-profit mindset, you got to be able to speak to both of them because people, uh, they're, they're, there's wealth on both sides of the spectrum. You're going to find rich people who have big hearts, but you're going to find rich people who are going to say, hey, I want to see the numbers. And they're both willing to give, but you have to speak to them in their language. You know, the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But the platinum rule is do unto others as they would want them, do unto others as they would want you to do to them. So you have to speak to them in their language. And just like the audience today, I don't know how many are out there are statistically driven or emotionally driven or um, passionate driven. And so as a speaker, I have to be able to, to speak to everybody in the crowd, whether they're ready or not, you know? And so, um, so I hope that answers your first question. The second question about the retirement plan is, you know, the, the old thing, you know, people wanna, people wanna enjoy their golden years. And so I say, okay, cool. So how much gold are you going to have in your golden years? Um, it, there, there's nothing more sad than seeing um, a baby boomer um, being a Walmart greeter. And can you imagine if, your grand, if my grandfather was a Walmart greeter right now and he's really susceptible to COVID and he's actually like out there in the public. So as far as not having a plan, yeah, man, it's your future. You do what you think is best for you. But I can tell you that where there is no vision, people perish. So you got to have a vision for your future and what that looks like. And you got to have a plan to achieve that vision. And if you're going to work till the day you die and you don't need a retirement plan, good on you, man, go for it. You know, but my challenge to you, Bob, is to have a written down vision of what you want your life to look like. Start with your eulogy and work backwards. Oh, you had a good one. Bob teaches um, school community college, and he told his students to write that. 
he had to first explain what it was. So Bob, um, you're, you're, Bob's a legend creator. And uh, so I'm going to pause the recording a minute, Bob, while I got you, if that's okay. And uh, because this recording's for... I'm finding people from other countries have a different ex experience with money. It's very hard to get them to give money. They'll give food and time, but not money. So Bob Hopkins is an eternal influencer and he's given his whole lifetime. And I'm with Bob. Retirement's not a, a word that's in our language and we're both active in creating stuff. So Bob and I met um, 11 and a half months ago in, in back when we could travel to Texas. So uh, Bob, thank you again for being here and your very appropriate comments. So thank you so much. Um, so um, Richard, anything out of that? So we're back on... Uh, the podcast. So um, the culture of giving, uh, speak to that just a minute. You know, I'll admit I am pretty ignorant when it comes to non-American culture. Um, you know, being in California, there's a, a heavy Hispanic influence in the community here. Um, and the African-American community is, is, is huge here as well. And so it's, there's this trifecta where you have the, the, uh, the, the co-mingling of uh, white America, African-American America, and the, the Latino culture. And um, what I found is that one of those, or one of those groups is right. extremely generous. And they are probably um, the ones who are the least well-to-do. And it, you look back at the culture, you look back at you know, what do their families teach? What do their, what does their culture teach? You know, and is there a sense of community? And that community is just absolutely just won my heart over. And, 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 and no, it's not the white community, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, you know, you would think that, oh, you know, the people who have the money give the most money. No, not at all. I mean, the, the widow gave her her two mites, right? You know, and she gave more than, than everyone else. And so the, the culture of giving has to start at home. It has to. That's where everything starts. And that's, in my opinion, what's wrong with America today is that the, the home is not what it needs to be. Um, and so if we, can, if we can start teaching by like what, um, like what our last uh, uh, question, the panel, or the, the gentleman who spoke last, Bob, was saying is that, you know, teaching these kids about philanthropy, absolutely, it starts in the home. You know, I can't teach my kids you know, I can't expect a teacher to teach them about to read and not encourage that behavior at home. So I have to, you know, yes, I'm going to get support uh, from the schools that are out there, but it starts at home. And so if you have a culture of giving in your home, um, you're going to produce uh, children who have a, a much more generous spirit about them than someone who isn't. And you can be extremely generous and have very little funds. In fact, some of the most generous people I've ever met are the ones with the least amount of money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so it's back to your early principle uh, that leaders influence others by who they are. So there's an authenticity to who we are and showing up and, and actually, it doesn't matter what you say, it matters what you do. It's like the, the sermon you preach with your life is much louder than the one you preach with your, 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 your lips. Your life is louder than your lips. So I don't care which faith you're from, and um, we do have a, I don't think we're a melting pot in America, we're a tossed salad. We have lots of, lots of interesting pieces in that salad and lots of, lots of uh, 
wonderful wealth in diversity relationships. So um, um, I do find that there is a culture and sometimes it's by state or by county, not necessarily by ethnicity. So I just think some areas uh, there's more, more culture of, of engagement in the community. So um, what uh, we got about two, three minutes left um, is I think I've gone down the list of questions and some of the key things. Is there something I didn't ask that I should have asked you that you want people to know about their relationship with money? Yeah, um, you need to, so you need to get rid of the fear. People fear what they don't know. I mean, why was the earth flat? Because that's all they could under, they, they could all see. And when people started to discover that the world is round, well, that was heresy. <laughs> you, you, you fear what you don't know. And so money, you fear money because you don't know money. So you need to make sure that you're financially educated and not, please, dear Lord, not by your banker. Your banker is there to, anyways, I'm going to get off my, my soapbox real quick, but you need to learn the principles of money by people who are uh, equipped to teach you and resources that are out there actually teaching them money and keep an open mind. Just because you hear a particular name over and over and over again doesn't mean you take that what they teach for gospel. You can't, you have to have multiple inputs about money and you'll start to see a common theme through the different speakers, through the different teachers, through the different authors, and you'll be able to discern truth from fiction. And so it's really important to get a financial education because then it won't be so scary because you understand it. How many people don't invest in the stock market because they're scared of it? They've heard that, oh my gosh, my grandfather lost everything back in the depression. Okay, that was like how many generations ago? Like if you kept your money in the stock market during the depression, you'd be having generational wealth forever. So it all comes down to you fear what you don't know. So fix it. Start learning and getting a financial education. You become like the people you hang around the most. So you want to hang around successful people. If you want to be broke, hang around broke people. So I got to stop doing that. So, uh, so I'm hanging around people like Richard. So the, the, the fundamental title, and I, I've got your website on the, uh, on the interview page, but give us your website. Revolution? Yeah. So, so I'm part of a, um, a big financial company and I own my own agency. Um, it's, uh, it's a revolution financial management. Um, and you can do, you know, slash Richard Hansen, you'll find me probably the best way to find me is on Facebook. Uh, Richard Hansen, you'll see this, this beautiful mug on there. Um, Instagram is also a good way to get a hold of me at Richard Anthony Hansen. It's H-A-N-S-E-N. Um, for Hansen. And yes, I'm Danish, not Swedish. So make sure the E is on there at the end, but they can follow me on social media. Um, and, you know, if you can, you can direct message me as well. You know, you, any way you want to get a hold of me, I'd love to, I'd love to connect, build a relationship. And yeah, even my dog's excited. So, um, but yeah, you know, that's the, probably the best way to get a hold of me. So the generic description of what you do is financial planner, financial advisor. What is it? The generic explanation. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say I'm a financial professional. Right. You know, so I, have, I have a gazillion different licenses. You can call me what you want, but at the end of the day, I'm a financial professional slash financial educator. Okay. So where I was headed with that 
was I think everybody that that has a board of directors needs to have a Richard Hanson clone on their board. Somebody that understands the things you're talking about, how money works and how to have conversations. And I don't think we purposely think about that skill set. Somebody that's in the business and knows how to talk to people can can at least influence us in our in our courage to have those conversations and dispel a fear, which is absolutely stupid. And we all have it. We all, it's like when I was in high school and calling a girl for a date, I had sweaty palms, you know, you know, she say yes or no, what's the big deal? <laughs> Go to the next number. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for um, um, lots of, lots of uh, things to think about today and to help us change our mindset. So do you have a quote or a thought you'd like to leave us with today? You know, Mahatma Gandhi said it best, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. So if whatever you want to change in this world, you be that change. Love it. Love it. Richard Hansen with an S-E-N. Thank you for being our guest today. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.